I was homeless seven years ago. I lived in a Honda Accord, 10 year old Honda Accord in Los Angeles. I parked it every night in, on a different street in Hollywood. And that's where I slept. Welcome to the new Age Sage podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Sterling Griffin. He has an amazing story going from homeless to multimillionaire. Please like and subscribe. Thank you. Sterling, welcome. I appreciate you having you here. So just in a brief conversation before, you mentioned that, you, that you're successful now. You have a, a highly monetarily successful business, but you once started as homeless. How did that come about? How did you get here from there? Yeah, Lucas, thanks for having me, man. I'm really happy to be here. So I was homeless seven years ago. I lived in a Honda Accord, 10-year-old Honda Accord in Los Angeles. I parked it every night in on a different street in Hollywood, and that's where I slept. But the way that I got there was I was terribly depressed. A few months prior, I was a pastor at a local church in Los Angeles, and I was also in seminary school studying to get my Master's of Divinity, where once I graduated, the plan was I was going to move to Japan and plant churches. So I was not a lifelong Christian. I became a Christian later in high school. And um, and my whole life was built around this idea that I want to lead people to Jesus. I want people to believe. Well, while I was in seminary school, I realized I didn't believe anymore. I completely lost my faith. And ironically, it happened through what I was learning at that school at the graduate school for ministers, literally four ministers. But on the other side of my faith unraveling, I felt like I unraveled. And I, my life started falling apart. I couldn't keep a job. I couldn't, I, 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 for months on end, I couldn't even get out of bed. Like I would just lay in bed all day, just feeling so hopeless and, and without meaning or purpose. And um, thank goodness, there are these free apps on our phone where you can listen to podcasts from <laughs> successful people talk about how they became successful for free. Literally, this was my introduction was personal development was randomly discovered. I didn't, no one told me this app existed on your phone, but this is back in 2015. I saw like, oh my gosh, what's this? And oh, self-help. I could use some help. Oh, look at this. This is like all this free information. So I ended up discovering Lewis Howe's podcast, The School of Greatness. And um, anyway, I, I started listening to some interviews. And one time he interviewed a man named Tony Robbins. And I was like, this guy is amazing. He's on fire. He's given all this energy to me. Whatever it is that he has, I want this. And so the very one, one month I, I had this sales job and I couldn't sell. I was selling door to door. I was selling solar door to door. But at least I was trying to sell. I wasn't actually successful in selling. And um, little by little, I ran out of money while I was not able to keep this job. And uh, I could no longer afford the $250 a month rent to stay where I was staying. But I had enough for one more month. And then I find out that Tony's coming to town. Tony had unleashed the power within October 2015 in Los Angeles. And I remember the decision sitting there thinking, am I going to stay another month and try and figure this out? Or am I just going to take this last little bit of money that I have and go see Tony? And that's what I did. Instead of paying rent in October... I went to see Tony at the end of that month and slept in my car. And while there, if you've ever been to a Tony Robbins event, Unleashed yeah, Power Within? I've seen like documentary videos. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it's crazy, but 
It's crazy. It's like a rock concert, 12 hours a day where you grow yourself for four days. So it's like 50 hours of, of just like intense, immersive growth experience. Anyway, the second day, Tony says, if you remember nothing else from this entire event, the entire four days, but this one phrase that I'm about to tell you will get your money's worth and it will change your life on its own. Now, Tony Robbins saying this in a group of 10,000 people, I'm like literally moving to the edge of my seat. Like, Tony, give it to me. Give me the goods. Whatever you have, I have to have this. And he leans in and he says, proximity is power. And who you surround yourself with is who you become. So he went through this process of identifying who are the five people closest to you? What's their level of happiness? What's their level of wealth? What's their ambition? What's their health like? And you'll find that if you average out each of those areas, for the five people closest to you, you're right there. That's you. And it was like a lightning bolt hit me. I'm like, oh, no wonder I'm depressed. No wonder I feel hopeless. No wonder I have no ambition. It's because everybody that I talk to is in the same position. So the driving obsession of my life from that moment on became, how do I get around people that want more, that, that want to grow themselves, that want to improve, that want to make a difference? And so leaving that event, I started to do that. And that's what... Um, well, we can get into what happened next if you want. But how did you do that? You know, most people in those yeah. situations can have that realization, which is powerful in and of itself. Then actually doing what it takes to be around those kinds of people involves, firstly, facing your fears, and secondly, being okay with rejection. Like putting yourself amongst yeah. men or women or people that are just going to be like, who the fuck are you? Who's yeah. this guy? And over and over again repeating it. So how did you get the bravery to get close to those people? And how did, what did you what did you have to do to actually make friends with them and yeah. seduce them in a way to make them want to spend time with you? So I actually learned this idea from listening to Lewis Howes on his podcast. So Lewis Howes is a great networker. He, he's an amazing connector of people with each other and with himself. And one thing he talked about is if you want to connect with somebody new, you need to find ways to add value to them. Mm -hmm. And so if you can find a way, if you can give something of value to them, then they'll want to stay connected to you. And so I remembered that when Tony said this and I thought, I need to find ways to add value to people. I don't know exactly what anyone wants, but I'm going to try and be a giver and and offer it wherever I can. And related story to this was, <laughs> I have to share this because I think it's it. it's it's a little bit weird and I might get some judgment online from this, but I'm just going to go for it anyway. Who cares? So I was a virgin until I was almost 25. And when I went to this Tony event, I was actually... So was that like out of self-choice or you just couldn't... Like, part of it was I was a Christian mm -hmm. and I was like very devoted to my faith. But even before I was a Christian, I was still a virgin. It was honestly because I was deeply insecure okay. and I just didn't believe that I was sexually attractive mm. to women. And in fact, that belief created a self-reinforcing loop where yeah. I didn't believe that. So women reflected that back to me, mm. but that all changed at this event because literally there's a, there's a process that Tony goes through on one of the days where you identify what are the most limiting beliefs in your life to that point, And then you reverse them. So you choose and you get committed to new beliefs in your life. So one of my beliefs was I am extremely sexually unattractive to every woman I meet. And the more a woman gets to know me, the more she'll be repulsed by me. This was actually in my subconscious mind playing day after day. And it was especially rear its ugly head whenever there's an attractive woman in front of me that I was interested in. Yeah. If I was talking to someone I didn't find attractive, it, I'd feel comfortable with them and I could be myself more or less. But... It, it changed when I was with an attractive woman. But on that day, I changed that belief to believe, to, to be instead, I am extremely sexually attractive 
to every woman I meet. And in fact, I am the most sexually attractive man to each woman in front of me. So it's kind of a wild and crazy belief. It doesn't matter that it's not absolutely true. What mattered is that it fired up my subconscious mind to show up confident with women. Mm -hmm. So as a, as a newly non-Christian man that feels confident, I, I went home with different women four nights in a row from that event. And it was, and remember, this is a man who's never had that experience one time, but it totally flipped because my belief is these women love to be around me. They, they, they're, I'm adding value to their life by being in their presence. And so that's a romantic context, but I started having that belief with other people who are just into personal growth that I just want to be friends with or entrepreneurs. I'm like, I'll find a way. Like, I'll be happy. I'll be encouraging. I'll try and find a connection. I'll offer a resource, a book recommendation, whatever it was, I was going to be a giver. Whereas previous to that, I was a taker of energy. People's energy would be lower being around me. All of a sudden now I'm a lifter. I'm someone that people feel good in their presence. Plus, truth is, I didn't have a lot to lose at this point in my life. So why was I willing to make, take risks and, and experience rejection? It's because that was my whole life to that point. I, I mean, I was so desperate. I would try anything. So I started meeting some people at that event who lived in Encinitas, which is a, um, it's a little surf town north of San Diego. It's about 30 miles north of San Diego. So every other weekend I drive down to that area because there was, for whatever reason, it was like a hotbed of people that were in personal growth, spirituality, coaching, stuff like that, that all live there. So I'm like, I got to get around them. And thankfully they would have so many gatherings over there constantly. They would, They'd have parties on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like literally somebody's having a house party. It's just people were very communal in that time and in that in that specific area. So it was great for me. And after going there week after week after week after week or or roughly every other week for a few months, one night we're, we're all at this, this mansion that's overlooking, it's Cardiff by the Sea, it's right next to Encinitas. And it's like super rich guys obviously hosting it. I'm in this amazing, gorgeous environment. All these successful people are around me. And it's like midnight, we're partying, okay? I'm talking to this life coach in front of me who was making over six figures a year. This was mind blowing to me (laughs) at the time. I was like, how the hell? You're talking to people from your phone or your laptop and and you're getting paid six figures? It might as well have been like a billion dollars to me. It It was an incomprehensible amount of money. Like nobody I knew or my family makes that kind of money. So I'm explaining her my sob story. And by the way, by this time I decided cut out door-to-door sales, I'm going to be a fitness coach because I was really passionate about fitness. I'd had a body transformation and I'd had people asking me how I changed my physical body, how I'd lost weight, gained muscle. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can teach people about how to work out and eat healthy. So I'm explaining her how hard it is to get clients and why I'm still living in my car at this point. And she just didn't buy in any of my sob story. And she asked me a very simple question. She says, oh, well, who's mentoring you? And I said, obviously nobody. Like I don't have enough money for a mentor. And she, she kind of sidestepped that answer. She's like, that is the exact problem that would be solved if you got a mentor. You see, in my mind, I didn't have money, so I couldn't get a mentor. In her mind, I didn't have money because I didn't have a mentor. Because if I got one, then the problem of not having money would resolve itself. And so yet again, a lightning bolt hits me and I'm like, I need to get a mentor, whatever it takes. And so I ask her for a recommendation. She recommends a person Later that week, I borrow money from my dad. All my credit cards are maxed out by this point. I have no room on credit cards. I'm missing credit card payments every single month. And so I asked my dad, I'm like, dad, 
can you make the first payment for this business coaching program? Like, I'll do whatever he says, but I have to do something different. I can't stay where I am. So reluctantly, my dad agreed. The next month, I made $4,000 in my coaching business, which was such an extreme amount of money to me. I was enthralled. So I paid back my dad for the first payment for the coaching program. It was about 2,500 bucks. I paid rent somewhere. So now I've got a place to stay and I'm eating like every meal instead of missing meals for periods of time. Going into that next month, I didn't have enough money to make the second payment to that business coach because it was two payments of 2,500. And he's calling me a few days into the month. He's like, hey, if you don't pay, then I'm gonna have to kick you out of the program. I, I gotta remove you. I, you know, this is a business. I gotta pay the bills here. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, I can't leave, but I don't have the money. Like, let me see if I can figure something out. So this is at two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. And if I don't pay him by the next day, he's gonna kick me out. And I'm sitting there thinking, how well was it working for me to not have a mentor before? I was screwed, man. I need to, I need to figure it out somehow. So by four o'clock, I, and by the way, prior to this, I'm looking outside because I'm staying at this beautiful house. It's on the overlooking the water. And then my eyes drop to the parking lot and I see my car there. And I'm like, that's it. That's gotta be it. By four o'clock, I wrote an ad and posted it on Craigslist. By nine o'clock, somebody handed me $4,000 cash and drove away with my car. The next day, I walk to the bank as soon as it opens, I put in the $4,000 cash and I send $2,500 of it to that coach. By this point, I am all the fuck in. Mm -hmm. I have to make it work. Yeah. And so, just what you think happened, happened. The next month, I made $12,000. Because I, I was like, now I can't even move back into my car. I can't sleep in that anymore. I have to pay rent. So this has got to work. So the next six months, I make a total of $100,000. I'm like 16000 19000 18000 And then I'm like, okay, I'm doing everything myself. I have to... How do I, how do I make it bigger? I couldn't figure it out. But then I go to a conference and they're like, you need a team. You need to be a leader. Now you need to get people to do things for you. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So I start hiring people the rest of that year. I made $40,000 a month from just that change from 16,000 to 40,000 was a team. So in my first year I made $285,000 and here's a critical piece. A lot of people that are first time business owners, they like wonder, how did you have such a dramatic transformation so quickly. Well, out of the money that I made, I was constantly reinvesting it back into coaching, into being mentored. Mm -hmm. Of that 285,000, I literally invested 112,000 into coaching. Just that first year. That's 33%, yeah. that's almost 33% of my income yeah. just to personal growth. So going into that next year, I was like, I have to keep investing, I have to keep investing. And I realized that my current business model, which was like a, is like a mastermind, one-on-one -on -one slash mastermind model, it needed to change. So I blew it up, started from zero, put together a group coaching program, hired a Facebook ads guy so I could reach more people. And the short version of that story from there is that over the next six months, I started scaling it. By July of that, ver of that second year in business, six months in, I made over $300,000 in that month. And then the rest of the year, I was making over two, between two hundred and two hundred fifty thousand dollars a month. So eighteen months from when I was homeless and living in my car, I had become a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And it was all through this beautiful business of uh, what I mean by beautiful business is a beautiful opportunity being able to help people and get paid for it. Yeah. And so over the next several years, I transitioned to a business model where I was helping people grow coaching companies. That was my first business. Yeah. So yeah. Super powerful. In, in all that. 
I understand making money itself is a skill. It requires certain marketing skills and psychological skills, but feeling you and, and hearing your story, there was a lot of it was actually mindset, a lot of attraction hacks. Like, what mindset shifts caused your wealth? What do you think yeah. mentally for you from homeless? There's the actual story and there's a mental story. So mentally, in your mind, what took you from homeless to millionaire? Like, the, yeah. the mindset strategies itself. Well, I can remember there was one specific time where my mindset really started to shift and it came through a very specific practice. And it was actually when I was in that mansion in Encinitas in Cardiff, but it was before that party where I told you about, I had that conversation with that girl, Lauren, she was a life coach, is a life coach. And, um, that particular day, I actually had the owner of the mansion hired me as his fitness coach. It was like my first major high profile client, like crazy paid me my rates at the time were like $1,500 for 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And it, that was a lot of money to me. And it was enough to like, okay, I can, I can't pay rent enough. Cause I'd like all these pressing debts and shit, but it was like a total mindset hack of like, holy crap, this person will pay me like mm -hmm. this super rich multimillionaire will pay me to learn fitness. Maybe I am good enough. Maybe I can actually make this work. And so I started this practice I'd heard from a podcast, which is you write out everything that it is you want as if it's already true. And you write it every single day and you write it over and over. You handwrite it and it's called scripting. So it's a well-known practice, but for me, this was a game changer where I'm not even making a thousand dollars a month on average. And I'm sitting here writing, I am so happy and grateful. I easily receive a hundred thousand dollars a month into my personal bank account. And I write it again. I'm so happy and blessed. I easily receive over $100,000 a month into my personal bank account and just write it, write it, write it over and over and over. And at first I was like, no, this is such bullshit. This is so stupid. Why am I writing this? It feels awkward. It's obviously not true. Mm -hmm. But when you do it over and over, you do it for like 10 minutes in the morning and you do it every day after a couple months, you're like, yeah, of course. And so when you come from, yeah, of course, with whatever your dream is, now you're motivated. Now you'll notice all the things that are going to point you towards the goal. And then you follow that advice. You notice the people that are discouraging you from believing it. And suddenly those people take a backseat. You no longer hear them as much. You don't want to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. You stop reading the books. You stop reading the news. You stop, you start getting really attuned to what is lifting up your energy and driving you towards the vision and anything else that's removing it, that's keeping you from it. Yeah. It's what you're describing just is unwavering self-belief that nothing can take you away from you achieving that dream. But it's easy to do that in the writing. I do the same things. It's easy to do that in the writing. But what's difficult is when you have situations or people take away from that reality. So how, what in you or what do you recommend for people who are trying to build something? How can they overcome the rejections? How can they? Okay, let's say dating is a good one. Let's say a man, I want to bring in a hot new wife. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting a bunch of women saying no. Mm -hmm. How can I still, still believe in my mind that I can get the hot wife for a million dollars when I'm getting a bunch, of bu bunch of business deals saying no? How can you keep the belief when reality is saying no and keep fighting? Because eventually, you hear all these stories, like yours, many people, it takes a lot of no's, a lot of punch in the face, mm -hmm. gut-wrenching, mm -hmm. devastating moments to get to the moment where everything comes true. How do you keep the faith, how do you keep the belief when everything is going wrong per se? Well, I think it's easy to lose belief when you're around people that don't believe. Mm-hmm. Or you're around people that always had the thing that you were craving. But the the distinction for me that I started getting around is I want people that were broken then started making money. I want to be around people that were felt unattractive and then 
became attractive. So their story shows that it can be done. Yeah. You want to fill your, fill your mind with stories of inspiration. I believe, literally, that every single person can be inspirational. And in fact, I don't mean they have to do something different. I mean, they already are inspirational. There's actually a formula to being inspiring. And that is, you face a challenge, you overcome the challenge, and then you share your story. One, two, three. So every single person listening to this, they have overcome a great challenge in their life. Maybe it doesn't feel like a great challenge anymore because it's like, of course. Of course I figured that out. Of course I graduated college. Of course I attracted that partner. Of course I, whatever it is. For me, one of the biggest ones was like having sex for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a nearly 25-year-old man and I haven't had sex. Like, and it's constantly being reinforced to me that you should have already figured this out. And I had woman after woman after woman reject me. Up until I went to that Tony Robbins event, I kept like trying to ask women out. But again, what was being reflected back to me was not that I was necessarily unattractive on my own, but that I believed I was unattractive. So what had to change first was I had to change my belief on what's possible. When I changed my belief, then my actions started changing. And even if the results didn't change right away, my actions started changing. And if you have the right actions and the right belief, eventually success is inevitable. Yeah, what I mean is like that, that belief. If you believe that, go to twenty five year old virgin self, and you then believe, okay, I'm attractive. I can get women. Mm -hmm. What keeps the belief stuck there when it you get rejected after the fact? Mm. That's what I'm trying to ask. Is that yeah? Let's say you had two girls go well, and the next one was like, no, you're ugly. Theoretically, um, yeah. How yeah. do you then still like cultivate that belief in your mind where it's not changed, where you can still say, I am this way, I am this way, and not let those situations affect that belief. Yeah. Because I'm assuming that's what got you to the next level is, is truly not just think. I think there's a difference in repeating thoughts. Mm -hmm. I am this way and then actually believing it. Mm -hmm. so how do you actually believe it in those situations? Well, the thing is, is that the affirmations, the scripting, the surrounding yourself with positive messages, all of those don't change the belief immediately. But through repetition, okay. through consistent action, they actually do. Yeah. Like you sort of go into this place of self-brainwashing. Hypnosis. Self yeah, it's, it's like... Oh, of, of course, duh. Like something that e even just recently, like something I'm working on now. So this year in my business and my, I have a commercial real estate business. I sold that business from before the, the coaching company eventually by the end became a more like a school than it was a coaching business because I had teachers, I had students, they went through a curriculum, they graduate, and then they now had the result. There's, it wasn't a certification, but they had a business that was functioning and operating. So I sold the school to then get into passive income investing in real estate. And this is now my, it's my second full year. So 2022 was my first full year calendar year. I started in August, 2021. And then 2023 is my second full calendar year. And this year we'll raise over a billion dollars for commercial real estate projects, all medical projects across the United States. So someone looking at my life, they'd be like, how the hell do you do a billion dollars in two years? Like, and, and I'm brand new. Like I'd literally not bought a single piece of real estate besides my home two years ago. Like I bought my first commercial property in 2021 and we're now recording this in spring of 2023. So how is that possible? Well, one of the main ways that it's possible is I started surrounding myself with people that literally just think huge. I'll tell you what happened for me last year. We did 30 million in my first year. So it's a huge jump going from 30 million to a billion. Mm -hmm. But the, what was the difference? Why am I not doing 40 million this year or 50 million and say, which would still be growth. I'd still be happy with that. It's because I had a conversation with a guy 
who is doing a hundred million in a new business that he started this year. And he's like 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And this guy's like, oh yeah, I'll be a billionaire in two years. And so I'm having this conversation with this guy and I'm like, shit, maybe my goals are too small. He's like, well, how do you just make a billion next year instead? Like, oh yeah, my goals, I'll do like 60 million this year, this next year. He's like, why don't you just do a billion? Like for him, it actually doesn't make sense to work an entire year and not squeeze the most that you can out of that one year. And what's amazing is that bigger goals aren't like a goal of say making a billion dollars as opposed to a goal of making a hundred million dollars. It's not 10 times the work to do a billion as opposed to a hundred million. It's not 10 times the work to do a hundred million as opposed to 10 million, but it is different work and it is different people and it is different thinking. Yeah, I think that's we, required. We, what you're doing that's important is when you look at someone successful, we often think, what are they tangibly doing to get the result? That's part of it, right? But yeah, you, yeah. what you're doing is what the fuck is this person thinking? Yes. Like, what's this person's mind like? How can they actually believe this shit and make it happen? That, that, yeah. I think that way of viewing things is what creates success more so than actually looking at the habits. Because anyway, I, I think that anyone can work hard to some degree. Yeah, it takes skill. Yeah, to definitely, work hard. definitely. Anyone could do it. But what's different is not everyone can believe in themselves to the degree that, that others do. That takes real skill. So the fact that you're curious to those people and, and thinking, how the fuck can I think like this person? That's what kind of made you in a way. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I pay attention when somebody has a remarkable amount of success. I pay very close attention to the questions that they ask because questions are actually my greatest telltale sign of intelligence mm-hmm. and power because questions are what create your reality. It's actually not answers. It's not skills, questions. So when this guy was asking me, well, why don't you just do a billion? He's like, then he would ask, okay, so if a billion is the outcome, like what's the constraints? What are all the constraints? What's the only things that would keep you from that? And I was like, I never thought of that before because I never had that question in my brain. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, I just need tenants that can take this amount of volume. I need a developer who can work in all 50 states. I need capital sources that have billions of dollars to spend. All of a sudden it's not that complicated. Oh, if I don't have credibility, I just need to get co-owners with me in the project who do have credibility, who are already rich and they get upset excuse me, maybe they even get the majority of the upside. All of a sudden, a billion dollars doesn't seem so far off. Mm-hmm. It's just assembling the right component parts. Yeah. But if I just said to myself a year ago, oh no, I gotta, I gotta earn getting into a billion. I gotta like wait 10 years. I gotta be 60 years old. I gotta have white hair. And then, then I'll be good enough to do a billion. It's not that, it, it's not that way. It's just different questions. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about like your heroic attributes, your inspiration, what you overcome internally, what was the side you had to kind of beat out? Like, what's the other version of you? I don't know that, that who, who'd you build? Like who was a person before you built the person you are now? Like, who's that for me? I think our, our life story is us versus the voice of resistance to me. It's like the voice that doesn't want to do good things. Mm, and mm. I think each of us had that voice to overcome something. So what's that side of you had to overcome that's still there somehow. Yeah, man, there's, there's so many of these things. I'll tell you, there's a very specific reason that I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. And I think back to that time and I think, why did I just jump fucking head first into this religion that was felt foreign to me? None of the people that I wanted to be like in school were this way. But all of a sudden when I'm 16, I'm like head first. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I got to tell everybody about it. Well, it's because the beginning of my sophomore year in high school, there was a guy that was in my drama class with me, and he invited me to go to a youth group. He invited me to go to a Wednesday night Bible study, basically, with him at his church. And what's important about that is that I had no friends in college. I felt very alone 
I felt like an outcast, like an alien, like I was weird. In fact, today, one of my most prized attributes is that I'm funny. Like humor is super important to me. Mm -hmm. I love making people laugh. I love lighting people up and bringing them joy. And I still had that desire when I was a kid, but I wasn't funny. I hadn't figured out what was funny yet. You ever been around somebody that like tries over and over again to make jokes, but they're just not funny. And like everybody's being polite about it in the room, but they just keep trying shit. And you're just kind of like, oh my God, this is, uh, is he going to stop? Like you're asking somebody next yeah. to you. Well, that was me like all the time. I just, I hadn't figured it out, but I wanted to try all the time. Anyway, the point is that combined with my insecurity meant that I just could, I had trouble connecting with people for whatever reason. Plus I come from, uh, a broken family. My mom was an alcoholic. My parents were divorced when I was very young. I felt very displaced going back and forth between families. My father was emotionally unavailable. And and I mean that in a loving sense. I know that he tried, he wanted to, but he just never could say, I love you. He could just never, it was natural for him to say, I'm proud of you. And so that combination of factors made me feel unlovable, or at least I chose to feel unlovable in response to that environment. So when I got invited to this Bible study, I said, yes, somebody wants me to be around them. So I go and the youth group leader changed my life because two things. Number one, he spoke about a God that loved me unconditionally, that wanted me to be his son. And that youth group leader treated me the same way. He treated me like I was lovable. He treated me like I mattered to him. And so I wanted to believe in a God like that. I, I wanted to be in a group of people that loved me, that accepted me. So at the time, I wouldn't have been able to use these words to explain it to you. I would have said, oh, it just makes sense that Jesus is this and, and God is that. But as I look back emotionally, I needed to have that need of love and connection met. And so I went headfirst all in. When I became an adult, when I was about 24 and I left Christianity, what happened concurrently is I started making friends outside of the church. I started having people that appreciated who I was without the attachment of faith to it. So now I could look a little bit more objectively at what I believed religiously speaking and not need it to be true because I had the, the need of love being met somewhere else. Yep. So I still have those voices. Even now, I have, I have amazing friends. I have a business where I get to help people and get paid well for it. Like I'm extremely healthy and fit and, and yet still, still a lot of what drives me is like wanting a, my dad, my dad's approval. My dad's actually dead now. He, he died about five years ago when I was four and a half years ago from pancreatic cancer. It's a really sad story about that. But, and he was super proud of me before he passed is actually like really healing. He got on antidepressants and it completely changed him. He was literally clinically depressed his whole life and un and went undiagnosed. Yeah. And so then he gets on antidepressants last 18 months of his life. He's like a joy to be around. He's like super loving and kind and super proud of me and vocal about it. But the trauma that I experienced from when I was young, like it, it's still in my body. Like I still want my dad's approval, even if I know I already have it. And I know that, you know, in a physical sense, it's, it's not like he's going to tell me anything else now that, it, that he's passed away. But that still drives me. And then also, like, I still want the approval of, I mean, I don't think I've ever said this before, but I want the approval of even more powerful people, mm -hmm. even more loving or happier, wealthy people. It's like, 
if I have their approval, then I'll feel even more good enough. Yeah. I'll feel even more important. And I'll feel like I'm good enough to where I can be of usefulness to other people in a greater way. Yeah, man, thank you for sharing that. I have the same same issue. What I've, I've kind of seen is that I used to be ashamed of that side of me. So my dad, very successful, very powerful man. And for me growing up, he only loved me. So he only loved himself if he was perfect, if he was dominating, making crazy amounts of money, being powerful. So then he could only love me if I was matching that metric, right? Oh, right. So I, lo- I love myself that metric as I grew up. And it, as I got depressed, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to make, make it work because I was way too hard on myself and working hard for the wrong reasons, ju- just to make my dad proud, just for that. What I realized that you got to, thankfully, and why you're so, you feel so good now, is I, had to, I knew that that wound couldn't go away, that that wound of having to prove to powerful people, my mm. dad, that I was worthy. It wasn't going to go away. Mm. Since it wasn't going to go away, I had to channel into something that wouldn't kill me. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That wouldn't destroy me. So I ended up channeling into helping people and doing all that kind of stuff. But I, I do. I don't know if you're spiritual. Or not. You, can you, it must be, probably must be because of the law of attraction stuff. Do you believe in energy yeah. and stuff like that? So, oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, a lot of that stuff's scientific. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know where the line between spirituality and science exists. Yeah. Because for me, if it is, if it is truly spiritual, then it must also have a scientific yeah. reflection or cor- correlation. So absolutely. Yeah. So what I believe is I think our, our spirits choose these wounds in a way because you wouldn't be so good at what you do if you didn't have that shit growing up as a kid. Like yeah, your yeah. skill sets come from that trauma. Yeah. Right? So for me, it's yeah. like for me to help people that are, are so my, my, I try to help people with deep pain, or emotional traumatic pain. I couldn't do that if I didn't have my shit to overcome. Right. Mm. So it's like, yeah, you had that story and you, you are where you're now. You are now because of those wounds in a way. So can you have kind of gratitude now for that journey or, or the, those painful moments in your life growing up? Because you feel like, fuck, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be good at what I do. I wouldn't have who I am now. Yeah, definitely. There's another time that is significant here is when I was at that Tony event, I realized that I had a lot of rage towards my spiritual teachers, specifically my religious teachers, the the pastors, the 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 Bible study leaders, whoever that had caused me to believe in Christianity and waste so many years of my life believing something that I now believe is not absolutely true in the way that I did believe it was. What was that first moment like where you were like, holy fuck, this is all kind of bullshit? Well, what was that like for you? Yeah, the the first moment where it was kind of like that, there was like a crack in this in this tapestry of like, this is absolute truth. And then there was like a little crack that showed up that happened when on the first night of seminary, actually at a Bible study class. And it's the class was intro to old Testament. So it was like examining the first roughly three quarters of the Bible. And the first book of the Bible is called Genesis and Genesis in the beginning of it, it, ex- it explains the creation of the world from the historical Jewish perspective. So at the end of that first day of class, we're talking about Genesis And then he says, here's your homework. Before next week's class, you're going to go home, you're going to open up Genesis, and you're going to read the whole book. But this, not the whole book of the Bible, not the whole Bible, just the book of Genesis. But with a twist, I want you to read it as if you've never been told what any of it means. This is the first time that you're reading it. Like you picked it up on the side of the road and you're like, what's this? And you go through it. Have that perspective. So I go home. I'm like, this is interesting. I'm, I'm reflecting Every single time I've read this book before, it's been accompanied with somebody translating it. I don't just mean in English. I mean, here's what it means for you today. So I start reading it and I'm like, holy crap. I'm seeing uh, angels coming down and sleeping with humans. And they're making this new humanoid 
thing. There's snakes talking to people and animals talking to each other, like flaming swords floating in midair. People living to be hundreds and hundreds of years old, almost a thousand years old in some cases. And I'm like, oh, this reminds me of a really old Harry Potter book. All of a sudden it's like sci-fi. This is a fantasy novel. This can't be absolute truth, which is what I'd mm -hmm. said about it before that night. And I go back to class after class and what that professor over the course of the semester went on to explain is that, yeah, some groups of Christianity will say it's absolute truth. It's like God spoke it onto the page. But what it really is, is the Bible is a collection of people's experiences with God through time and in different places. And in fact, in order to understand the Bible, you have to understand the context in which it was written. Why would these sheep herders in the middle of the desert write these things about God? Well, in many cases, why they would say that, you know, the Lord gave us into the hands of our enemies or the Lord gave us victory over our enemies. A lot of the Old Testament is about war between Israel and other nations. He said, well, the reason why they would say that is because these people are trying to make sense of their existence in relation to other geopolitical entities. So they have a God, that's the Hebrew God. Then the Babylonians next door, they have their own God. And then another person have their own God. So the way they make sense of their reality is like, these are different gods at war with each other. And we're just kind of like the, the puppets, so to speak of them. So without going too far down that, he was like, you got to understand what's the historical reason. And then you'll be able to make sense of how it might apply to you, if at all, for today. Mm -hmm. So that was the first crack. I'm like, oh, if it's not absolute truth, what what is it? And so that that's when that started to happen, at first it was confusion. The first reaction is confusion, maybe denial. But then the moment where I was like, oh no, it's bullshit. Like that would have been the language I used then. There was there was rage. The rage of how could these people delude me? And and not the people that wrote the Bible, but certainly not Jesus or anything like that, but but the people in church. Yeah. How could they be so dumb? These are the words I would use. I don't use these words now, but how could they be so stupid, so careless? just like leading people into believing this garbage. I was so full of rage. But what I was really angry at was not them, was myself. I was like, how did I let myself believe this? How could I not see it for what it is? And over time, I became compassionate to myself and realized I needed this to be true. I needed to feel like I was lovable. Mm -hmm. And this gave me an excuse. It gave me a reason to believe that I was when nobody in my family or in my intimate circle like made me feel that way. I needed that. What'd you do to get the rage to not take you over so much? How'd you actually move that energy? I'm going to give you a break to digest all this amazing information. And in this break, please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you. What'd you do to get the rage to not take you over so much? How'd you actually move that energy to get to a place where you could be compassionate and forgiving to yourself? It wasn't so like overcharging. Well, it, it wasn't. It wasn't immediate. It was. It was a process of realizing that those people believe it and do what they're doing because they have needs too. They have emotional needs. They need to feel like they're lovable. They need to feel like their life means something. To this day, my stepmom is a is a very strong Christian woman, and um, when we talk, she's always saying things like, I pr "I'm praying for you." You know, God God's waiting for you to come back to Him when you're ready, and and you know, I just I pray that you'll come back to Jesus and all this stuff and. And 
at first I was like really, res- and at times still, I'm, I'm resistant to that. Like, I don't want to hear that. I'm like, okay, come on. Can we just talk about stuff that we both agree on? Cause I don't agree with you. Like yeah. you have this belief and I get it. You're not going to change, but I'm probably not going to change either. But when I come back to my conscious, my higher self, not just my like pissed off, need everything to be my way self, then I realize that's her way of showing love in her worldview. That is what her highest self would do. That's her caring. That's her giving a shit about me. She didn't want me to go to hell and like burn in eternity. She wants me to be in heaven with her. So how are you expressing your spirituality now in a way? Is it like, is it, how do you do it practice now? Or is it more so just believing in like law of attraction stuff? What's your conception of what is outside of you and me and our egos? This is difficult for me to name because I feel very on things that I don't have a scientific corollary for, <laughs> I, I feel very non-committal. It's um, probably a good, good way to be. I, I feel like what's the, what's the most advantageous to how I live? In exactly. fact, at a, at, a pre, at a Tony event that I went to a few years ago, a different one than the first one, I realized that everyone should believe a version of spirituality that calls forth the highest and best version of them. Yeah, I agree. And that's going to be different. What that means for each individual means that Whereas I came from a background of truth is absolute. It's true in the same that it's true for all people. Two, truth is relative. And therefore, people should believe a version of reality that helps make them the most loving, the most happy, the most inspired version of themselves. So the way that I think spirituality shows up for me is I believe that the universe wants good things for me. It wants me to be successful, wants me to be happy, wants to actually bring things into my world that further my goals. And so the way in which I come into alignment with or an assistance with the universe is I just keep showing it, whether in my mind or my words or my actions, what I want. I think that the universe is actually conspiring to try and give us more of what we want. But the biggest reason why people don't get more of what they want is because they literally don't know what it is they want. Yeah, you're describing kind of pronoia instead of paranoia. That instead of the universe being against you, it's for oh, you. Yeah, so oh. it's, like, it's a pronoia in a way, but it's also a thought process, right? Like you're allowing that room to be given to you. I think yeah, you have yeah. paranoia. If you're always like the rules out to get me, if you're in victim mode. You're gonna keep attracting the same bullshit over and over again. Yeah, so is that part yeah. of it too? Like like believing that you will, that you're gonna attract things that serve you is also part of it. Like having that belief and that faith. Absolutely. The first, so the most important book I've ever read is called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. So it's a book that I've literally gifted to over 250 people. I've read it 12 or 13 times. I read it every single year, at least once. And I read it first a few months before I went homeless and it became my sort of new Bible when I no longer use the Bible for that purpose about what are the ways of thinking, the activities that people that get what they want, what do they do? What, what, what's important to them? And the very first principle in that that he says is the most important, Jack says, is take 100% responsibility for your life. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't believe that you are responsible for creating your own reality, then it doesn't matter. You can be told all these other ways of thinking, all these other ways of being, and you'll find a reason how it's somebody else's job to give you the thing that you want. That became like the the obsession for me. It's like, I want to see everything as being not absolutely in my control, but when it comes to getting my goals, like I am the agent of its success or not. And the universe works for me in a sense. Like I, and the way that it, I put it to work is I show it what I want. I see it in my mind because what thoughts are things. 
When I think in my mind, the vision that I see, the images that I have, the universe responds to that. That is an actual physical thing. It may not be, it's seen by me, may not be seen by other people, but it actually engineers the universe into motion. It like mobilizes it and starts making it real. Yeah, let's go step by step in, in the sense, let's say you have someone, or you can use your past experiences. Mm -hmm. Let's say someone has an idea they want to make create or a new business or they want to invest, just want to make something happen in reality. Yeah, yeah. What's the line in your experience and your success between like, what does it take in internal work, like mentally, what's the work there? And what's the external work? Like what What's the balance between both? Like how much was actually you putting pen to paper? How much was you creating a mindset to attract it? Mm. And what's the balance there? I think it's at least 80% mindset and 20% yeah. strategy or, or, you know, well activities. Because like the strategy really doesn't matter if you won't do it. Because here's the thing. The strategy never works 100% of the time. Like you can know the right actions to do and then you can do them and then they don't work. And so you have to adjust your approach. But if you don't have the right mindset, you'll give up. You'll say, it's not for me. I can't have this. I'm not meant for it. Somebody else doesn't want me to have it or whatever and give up and find a reason why not. So, so mindset is number one, but the way that you feed the right mindset is by getting clear on what you want, seeing it as if it's done, getting around people who agree with you and then finding mentors or models that can lead you towards it. I think if people just focused on just those things, just those things, they could literally have a completely different life in a year. Completely different. You'd be way happier. You could feel way more connected and loving. You could have way more money. Literally in just a year if you did those four things. Now, I think most people's biggest obstacle is that they're not willing to sit down and really think about what they want and why. They're not willing to imagine it as if it's already true. They're not willing to change their friends and get around people that believe in them. They're not willing to hire a mentor, spend money on it, or to do a value exchange of some kind, or even, fuck, to ask for help. Those people are not willing to ask for help. I swear, one of the greatest hacks in all of the universe is just telling people, this is what I want. Do you have any advice for me? Yeah, for sure. I think why they don't do it <laughs> is what you experienced. I, I experienced to some degree too. I, mean, I wasn't, I was a homeless, I mean, but it was, I was about two years of my life just completely alone. Like, I had no friends. What happened, I had, a, I went to, you know, good college, was meant to go into traditional world of, of living very like matrix based all that kind of stuff and i had a massive cliche spiritual awakening where i was like none of this shit matters who am i yada yada i had to drop all my friends move cities and just start a new life and that's what it, it literally took for me to get to where i am now like, i had to create that space to be a loner to have no friends to be in pain because that's what i mean if you're if you're completely breaking your identity it's painful you have an, you're literally dying you have an ego death your yes. ego your ego perceives it as death so you kind of have to have that kind of mythical initiation process of, of dying so you can find that new self. And we know it deep down. We know that we have to give up, give up everything to get this. I think it's like people don't do it. They're too averse to being alone, to not having friends, or to not feel love for a bit of time. And it's it's scary. It sucks. Like what you went through, I'm sure, in the moment wasn't wasn't fun. What I went through wasn't fun. But there's so much beauty on, on the other side of it. What do you think gave you the courage to do that? Like what inspired you to make that? Bold? That's a big, bold move. I just, I knew, maybe, maybe you can relate to this. I knew that if I kept going down the road I was going down, I probably would, would be, kill myself. I would, I would have been so depressed. I either would have killed myself or I would have been so addicted to drugs I wouldn't be alive. Like for me, it was like either like, I could have done it, but I would have been in so much pain. Mm. For me, it was like the pain it would take to stay like that forever was way more than me having a pain for, I knew it was like a year or two for me having to figure it out. Mm. It was that, it was me being like, I can't keep being in so much pain. I can't do it. And mm. this is good. I knew it was feeding it. 
So I knew I, I just couldn't do that. It was me not wanting to be in that, that much pain anymore. You know what's interesting about that? I love that answer because sometimes it's not just positive visualization that's enough to motivate change. It's negative visualization. So it's realizing what's the, what's the future result of my actions today? If I don't change, what happens in a year or, or five or ten? I think if people also had that vision, they got clear and they stopped ignoring it, pretending like that day will never come, pretending like everything's fine. I'll just put it off another day. Let's wait another week. That's fine. Let me address this next year. I can do this job for another couple of years. Just get the promotion or whatever the answer is. If they could instead sit in the moment, sit in the fucking pain of it and see if I do this for five more years, if I have this belief, if I have these friends, I'm going to wake up in five years fucking depressed. Maybe I will kill myself. I've had suicidal thoughts in my past many times. When I was younger, I was like, shit, if, if I can't get a fucking friend, like if people will not like me, then what's the point of living? Yeah. So negative visualization is as much important, especially when you're at a place where you feel completely fucking stuck. Like you're not, you're not getting momentum. You're not progressing. You need negative visualization. In fact, Tony uses it as events. He does this as part of this process where you change your beliefs. He helps you see this belief. What is it going to do into your life in a year or in five or in 10? You get the image, you see it. And then you make noises. You move your body in a way that expresses how awful that's going to be. And I'll tell you, that's fucking motivating if anything is. I had an uh, ex-professor of mine. He's one of the world-leading experts on, on habit changes. And his, that's his thesis on habit changes. He studied this in a lab for years. And the conclusion he came to, like, re revolutionary data was basically that using that visualization. Like, in any micro habit, let's say it's eating. Flossing. Yeah, eating. A, okay, flossing. Yeah. Let's use that, right? So you, yeah. you would say in the moment, in your body, like, let me think. Feel, like, feel yourself in five years at a dentist with five cavities. What would that take and how painful and awful that would be and you having to get braced or something like uh, just bad versus you just doing this every day in the moment now for two minutes. Yeah. Like, does the two minutes feel better than you getting a cavity in five years and being, you know, under anesthesia with a drill in your mouth? Yeah. Like just feeling that. Yeah, yeah. Just feeling that in the moment. Yeah. On any habit in, the, in your body, kind of feeling both roads is what creates the change. Yeah. Yeah. But it is negative in a way. So I can, it can, I, I only use that so it can get pretty, pretty dark sometimes. Yeah. What's the opposite? What's like the positive visualization on the other side of it too? Like what's the opposite of that you can use for your own motivation to change habits in a way? Well, then you see what is the compounded result of a different belief. So in a year, if I choose to get better friends, how am I going to feel in a year, five years and 10 yeah. years or 20 years? What's that going to do for my career? What's it going to do for my level of love and, and friendship and fulfillment that I have. Yeah. It's, you can see the positive images too and the compounded result of them through time. Yeah. It's a, which one do you use more? I, I think positive definitely way more. <laughs> so I'm, I think... I'm, I'm negative more. It's probably why. Are you? Yeah. yeah. I think frequency should be more positive because you want to yeah, feel sure. good yeah. like more often. But for intensity, for specific like dynamic change moments, if you need to fucking make a change, negative visualization. Just use it sparingly because it's more potent. Yeah, for sure. What What do you, is there anything you're currently trying to struggle with or working? Is there any emotion you have at thought? Like what part of you right now are you trying to like cultivate, not war over, but change? What's the agenda now for you? You've done a lot of, yeah. you've done a lot of things. Your mind's just feeling energy. It's a lot better than most people. Like you really believe in a lot of things now, which is great. What's the thing that you're working on that you're trying to get through? There's so many things, man. <laughs> One thing it's that I'm... You, it's good you own that. Most people like. Oh my gosh, dude! So many. At least things. you don't have super Superman syndrome, which is good. No, no. Like, one thing is, I have a lot of insecurity still about sharing my story, 
publicly, like doing talks or, I mean, I'm doing this podcast with you now, but I haven't done many podcasts recently. Like I used to do it all the time. I, I had a podcast of my own with my previous business, recorded 230 episodes. Like I was very committed for a long time. I shut that down when I sold that business because it was just, it was specifically connected to that business. And since then, I have felt this desire that I want to share my message more. I want to be of service. I'm, I've got this book concept that I've been putting together. Um, it's called Shortcuts. It's how to ethically get everything you want faster than you ever thought possible. Because I think in many ways what my life shows, what I want it to show, is how people can have a dramatic result in a short period of time. It doesn't have to be as hard or it doesn't have to take as long as, as people would think. I want people to feel permission from my life. I want my life to be just one more example. It's not going to be everything to everybody, but just one more voice that what you do want wants you. It is possible that to have that sense of permission, but man, I still struggle with the self-worth of like, is my story even matter? Like is my con if I start making content, is it going to be good enough? Are people going to want to pay attention in a world where attention is increasingly scarce and hard to get from people is is my story really any any different? There's certainly more successful people that can talk. And so what, what goes through my mind is like, well, if I just get a little bit more success, then, then it'll be worthwhile. Then people will, I'll deserve to have people give attention to my story or to what I have to say. Yeah. And so it's always kind of this moving target of, of when I'll start giving talks at schools. I mean, it doesn't even have to be like big paid shit, but like giving talks to schools or volunteer organizations or things like that. Like, I want to do more of that and to make the time to write this book or whatever else. But but to help people, you have to have that compassion, right? So I think what comes to me, and I, I share the same wound, is what if I didn't have this wound? I couldn't relate. Like imagine you, just, you, you, you automatically didn't have any of that. You were just like, magic wand, let me have all the perfect thoughts, no, no pain, no wounding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You wouldn't relate. If you see someone like a younger person in pain, younger man in pain, you could look at them and you couldn't, it's a difference in talking to someone and like just being like whatever and feeling their pain and empathizing with it and feeling like, fuck, I know what it's like to be you. And that, in the, in the energy, you can really make change. So if you want to be of service, you kind of, if you're telling the universe, hey, I want to be of service, in my experience, you're basically telling them, I got to suffer a little bit. Because you have to mm. relate, you have to be able to know how to what to overcome in yourself. That's the, that's the, also you build character to this. Who you are now, mm. the person in front of me is the way you are because of the way you respond to pain. That's just that's you, mm. you know. So it's that's true, yeah. That's that's why I come back to right because everyone has that where I can think oh, I'm because I'm also insecure in many ways. I'm either ridiculously like stupidly confident or completely insecure. It's it's, yeah. it's extremes yeah. for me. Yeah, and when I'm in that extreme, I'm like, what the fuck? What's going on? But then I, I know, okay, I have to figure this out to help be of service. I have to figure out this code That's interesting. to help all of us. And I'm being asked in some way to, to solve it. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't have that point of, of relation. I couldn't help people. So that, that perspective helps me in, yeah. in, in many ways. Yeah, well, that, that self-compassion, I don't often feel that. Like when the insecurity shows up, it's more like my automatic is, I should have already figured this out. Like, what the fuck, man? Like... You figured out the other things, you should already have this thing figured out. I don't go to the place of, oh, this actually is a connection point for the audience later. Like yeah. th this this actually makes me re relatable in a sense. That reminds me, recently I went to, I saw Brendan Burchard. He did an event here in town. He's a, you know Brendan Burchard, right? Big personal development influencer. I mean, he's probably number two in the world behind Tony. Like he, he's huge. Did an event here a couple weeks ago. And Ed Milet came and spoke. Do you know who Ed Milet is? Yeah. So Ed Milet is kind of a newer big dog in the personal development scene the last couple of years. And he said something that really impacted me. He said that his, his father was an alcoholic. And 
became sober when Ed was 15. He said the most important thing that ever happened to him in his life that changed the trajectory of his life was his father getting sober. And recently, Ed woke up in the middle of the night and he was just crying tears of gratitude. And his wife woke up next to him and she said, well, why are you crying, honey? Because it's not normal, right? You wake up in the middle of the night, have this. He said, somebody helped daddy. Somebody helped my dad get sober. And I don't even know who that person is. I, I'm able to affect millions of people today because somebody cared enough to help my dad get free of his addiction. And if they hadn't, we wouldn't be here right now. I'm so grateful to that person. Well, he ended up getting connected to that person within a couple of weeks. He, he hadn't known his whole life, right? He's a man in his fifties. But he went on to say, after explaining that, is that what if that person thought that because they were an alcoholic, that their life was fucked up, that they didn't, they weren't good enough to help other people get out of it. Then what if they'd had that belief? Then his dad wouldn't have been helped and they'd have a very different life today. But he said, what you think disqualifies you is actually what qualifies you. Yeah. What you think disqualifies you from being able to help somebody or, or have a story that's of any significance or power is actually the thing that makes you the needed person to be of service. Like, I think I'm not good enough for my story is not important or whatever. And maybe, maybe the other people believe that too. And so if I can transcend it and believe that I'm worthy, that I'm good enough, that my story does mean something, it may not mean something to everybody. It may not be millions that hear it. And if it could just help one or two or three, that's, that's good enough. That, that I have to, however, believe that my story is worth sharing first. And then I can give permission to somebody else to have their story have them feel like their story matters too. Yeah, it's a better, that way things are better motivators. I think with the wound we share, which if I were to summarize, is, is that one of needing to prove someone to someone at a young age and that creating this prophecy that once I prove this and I'll, all these issues I have will go away, I'll feel finally okay. Right, the ego right. creates a snapshot. Right, once yeah. I accomplish this amazing thing, yeah. all the feelings will go away. And that becomes a motivator unconsciously to do all these things. And we have that, I have it too. In the back of my head, no matter what, it's always there. But when that, once that shifts to, okay, you know, if I overcome this this problem, this wound, not to then be proven in the world, but to help someone, mm -hmm. it changes the energy in my way. It, it kind of changes everything. But I wanted to touch upon a, a topic that came to my mind that I think you would agree with. I was talking to this neuroscientist, kind of quantum physicist, who told me the concept of timelines in, in reality. Well, we all have different timelines of our life. And that there's the good ones and bad ones. And the ones that, for example, if you see a time with you, let's say, your company raises two billion next year, right? There's a timeline to get there. Mm -hmm. That we can actually, through our habits and our thoughts, we can collapse the timeline. Mm -hmm. That let's say it would look like ten years, but then you get the the thoughts and habits at like year eight on year one. You collapse yeah. the timeline. Yeah, yeah. How, what's your experience with that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's absolutely true. So how, how's your experience with that? With that been kind of seeing like a goal and being like, okay, if I do these things, I can get here. So that's the thing in your book. That's the thing in your book, right? Yes. Saying like, we think of a goal. Yes. And we're like, that could take 10 years. Mm -hmm. And our mind goes, 10 years, okay, I'll do the things every day, but you're like, no, I'm going to do this in fucking two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then you, like, what does it take to someone to collapse, the, to collapse those timelines? And how, how have you done that in your own experience? <clears throat> your own work? Get around the person that gets out of bed doing it. For me, when raising a billion dollars this year, I thought, okay, well, who, who's already raised a billion dollars in a year? And so if I just get them on my team, then they'll just tell me literally what to do. It's, it's actually not like a figuring out process, just execution which is way easier than figuring out a plan. It's just doing a plan that's already been proven. Yeah. So I went out and I found a broker that did 1.4 billion last year in commercial transactions. And I was like, hey, 
what would it take for you to be on my team and be and be on my board, be the managing director of this project with this tenant? He's like, well, A, I need to believe in you as the leader, and B, my compensation needs to look like this. And C, I need to believe in the product. I was like, okay, well, here's the product. Here's my vision personally, and here's your compensation. He's like, I'm in, let's do it. So he left his old brokerage, left the entire set of transactions and deals and tenants he was working with before to work 100% with me. So oftentimes it's, it's not that big of a difference. And now, would I have been happy doing 60 million this year had I not had the conversation with the other guy who told me that more was possible? Been super happy. Like, again, from where I came from, where I was like not eating every day, like, it's fucking amazing. But now that I've been exposed to a different level of possibility, it's like, well, why not? If I'm going to work the same amount, if I just get around people that think at a different level, and with this guy that did a billion last year, 1.4 billion, what's his angle? His angle is you talk to people with lots of money and mm-hmm. he, that he already knows, that he's yeah. already done business with. He shows them the deals. So they're like, instead of writing a you know, $100,000 check, which is what most people can write that invest. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> <clears throat> instead of writing a hundred thousand dollar check they'll write a 50 million dollar check and then they'll tell their buddies who also write 50 million dollar check or a hundred million dollar check and all of a sudden it's it, it's you know you're 20 people away from doing a billion in a yeah, year so you you don't have a wound i do which helps you look <laughs> for me i have the thing where i egoistically say i want to figure it out i want to do it for myself i don't want help that's mm. been my my shit thankfully i'm getting over it yeah but that's that's the trick you're saying that if there's a timeline of you getting somewhere, it could take you twenty years for you to figure it out yourself, right? Yes, and that could be that could be someone's path. But you're saying that this motherfucker over here can figure it out tomorrow. Yeah. Therefore, I'm going to have to. Well, teach he's already second. he's already figured it yeah, out. Then he's I can, already done. I can just get him and do that. And that kind of entails you being egoless in a way, kind kind of saying like, I don't fucking know this. I'm a I'm, I'm naive in this sense. That's no problem at all. Let me get this person, and that that's a big skill. It's like a humble humility egoless form was it always for you that way do you learn to be that way through trial and error no i i have i was way more full of myself when i was broke <laughs> that's funny yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like oh yeah no i'll figure it out i get it on my own but then i learned from tony it's like success leaves clues that's something he says over and over and over success leaves clues you don't have to figure it out on your own and in the book the success principles one of the principles is ask 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 what jack says to do jack's the author jack canfield he says, um, a lot a lot of people think that it's like such a long road from where they are to where they want to be, but somebody else can just give you the exact single steps. Just the stuff that I'm talking about. It says your primary work is actually just to ask people for help. And if they say no or they won't help you, so what? You're exactly where you started, which is without the solution. Like you're not worse off. You're not like going to go to jail. It's not, a, it's not against the law to ask people for help. Mm-hmm. So like, just ask more. So I remember reading that in the book and been like, why am I not asking for people for help? Oh, it's because like I'm afraid they're gonna think I'm stupid or, or they're, they're, say no. they're gonna judge me or yeah, or 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 they're gonna say no or whatever. It was more like judgment. I was afraid of being judged, of looking stupid yeah, in some way. Yeah. But then I asked people for help and I just discovered that people don't think I'm stupid when I ask for help. Like they just think I'm ambitious. They just think that I want something interesting, especially if I give them a good reason for why I want something, or if I show what's in it for them. If they help me with the thing, like they can help me and they'll get some result that wasn't that hard for them to receive and it's it's very valuable, then people want to help me. I guess I just got lucky that I I just believe that. I think I'm lucky because I believe that's true. I believe that asking for things is not that hard, but provides massive leverage 
So every single week is actually, since I went to this Brennan event recently, I made it an actual KPI that I measure every single week in my life is how many bold requests have I made this week? So I do at least two, but I'm actually averaging recently, it's like six or seven a week. So these are big requests. It's like, if I ask this person for this thing and they say yes, then it's going to collapse time. I'm going to get to whatever my goal is way easier, way faster. When you is able to not be afraid of the no? Uh, I lose nothing. I don't understand why no is such a problem. Like, if someone tells me no, I haven't lost anything. They haven't taken money from me. <laughs> taking your ego. They, they're, taking your ego they're taking something from your ego. That's what but taking. that's all made up. It is, but you feel it. You still feel it some way. You know, you, you kind of, you don't feel it anymore at your stage now. Well, I mean, it depends on the day. Here's the thing. I feel way more sensitive to people's judgment of me if, like, I'm sick or I'm tired or I haven't eaten well recently or I haven't slept. Like, if my biological energy is good, then I feel way more resilient. I feel way more empowered. I think one of the biggest shortcuts to achieving more in life, feeling more motivated, is to take really good care of your body. Mm -hmm. Like, people don't sleep enough. I have slept my way to success. <laughs> Like, I, agree. I don't have enough time not to sleep. Like, I have to sleep a lot. Eight and a half to nine hours every single night. Or else, I'm just kind of a walking zombie in my life. I don't have motivation. I'm not driven. I'm not ambitious. There are very different versions of me that exist in this life. And the version that has getting, gotten everything that I want is a version that sleeps a lot. That's the best version you're going to attract the best things. Yeah. If you wake up feeling like a piece of shit, you're going to attract things. Then you them. start to act and perform like a piece of shit. Yeah. I certainly do. Yeah. I'm not above it. Like, it happens to me now. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. Are, you. are you good at also asking for... It's one thing asking for business help or knowledge help, but are you good for asking for emotional help now? Or is that... Yes, yeah, definitely. I'll give you another example. So another thing that's important to me this year that I have not always prioritized is building really meaningful friendship and community, which is a stretch for me because in the past, I valued achievement more than community. And those two things, given that there's only so much time available to a person, that I'm just not going to do this thing that's fun because when I'm like hanging out with people or doing something fun, I'm like, oh, shit, I could be working right now. I could be doing something that's like moving my life forward. And so this year I'm like, that's such bullshit. Like what makes a happy life is a combination of achievement, fulfillment, personal fulfillment and community and love. So part of what I am now asking for certain people in my life is like, I want them to spend time with me or I want them to go on trips with me or I want them to invite another awesome friend to a dinner that I'm hosting. So the bold requests aren't just business related. They're also about friendship related. Like recently I asked this, this other couple, so I'm in a couple, I have a girlfriend and then there's this other couple that we've become friends with recently. And I asked them, I'm like, listen, I, I want you to make a big commitment to me. And that's to be a part of a like really intimate friend group that we're going to form over the next several years. We're going to live close to each other. We're going to raise our families together when we have kids. Big, we're going to yeah. go on trips together. Like, this is a big deal. We're going to form values together on what's important. We're going to form boundaries as to who we're going to let in the group and who we won't. These defining characteristics of our council of friends. And I'd seen somebody else do this, and I'd wanted to be a part of their friend group, but they didn't want me to be a part of their friend group for whatever the collection of reasons are. And I was really hurt by that at first. But then recently I'm like, well, look, they've just shown me what I can do if I create myself. I don't have to be a victim to their not choosing me. Like I can be responsible and create my own experience. I can be inspired by what they've created. So I've decided I'm going to now make bold requests of other people. And so that couple was like, we're a yes, we're fucking all in. 
and we're going to help you build this thing. So now I don't have to do it by myself. Now I've got friends that are, they're leading with me to create more of that community. What was finding love like for you? Because coming from your background, being a virgin for so long, having insecurity issues, what did it take for you to find love and feel worthy of someone else's love, like truly? <sighs> yeah. Um, that's been tough, man. That's been really tough. Whether it was about my, my mom loving me, but constantly escaping with the use of substances, particularly alcohol, or my dad just being depressed and wanting his approval and never feeling like it was there. Coming from a family home where my parents and my step-parents always fought, always fucking fought. Like, it's just a very unstable environment mm -hmm. to grow up in and feeling unloved by them or other friends. Like, coming from an insecure family background has made it very difficult for me to believe in love and believe that love is safe. Mm -hmm. My last relationship before this was, so I'm in a very stable, like happy, super loving relationship. Now the previous one was my first major relationship in my life was with this woman for a little over a year. And that was so chaotic. Like our relationship was so toxic and it wasn't cause she's toxic. And it wasn't because I'm toxic. It's because the the collection of attributes between us, a collection of shared experiences. It's like, trauma, kind of. Like it's just like our trauma was, yeah, it's just like yeah. bouncing off each other. And so, um, it was really bad. But, and it was really bad from like day one. Like it was never this utopia. People ask me like, when was it really good in that relationship? And I and I'd try and think, and well, it was never really that good. I mean, I guess it was bearable in the beginning but it was never great. And, and yet I stayed in it and it's because it was familiar to me that, that type of relating felt normal. You had to experience that to become aware of it. Yeah. I've had the same experiences. Everyone has to have that experience where it's the initiation to find true love. It's the one before the one, it's the one to teach them what's not the one. In, yeah. In yeah. Way. Yeah. You would, and I think in every time you would, have, you would have had to experience that to know, to know it. And it's painful and it sucks in the moment I've been there but you wouldn't have been prepared, prepared for your current partner if that didn't Well, happen. certainly, and, and when I left that relationship, I was like, okay, here's what's gonna be different next time. Like, I'm not gonna tolerate this. I'm not gonna be this way. And so therefore, I'm gonna attract an environment that is this. And in the beginning of the relationship, it was great and it was very loving. And there were certain things that I had boundaries on. Like, you're not gonna speak to me this way. You're not gonna treat me this way. You're not gonna be this way around me. It's not gonna happen. If you are, then this relationship will not work. And you will need to go like we're going to find other partners. And so I was very firm on those things where in the previous relationship, anything goes just, Hey, bring whatever you want and I'll work around it. Like we'll figure it out instead of having boundaries. Like boundaries are what really create freedom. So when at first she was resistant, but then she saw that a, I meant it and B that it'd be good for her. And so she adjusted. We both changed so much. She's done versions of that with me in the relationship too. And I've responded because I see that it's in my best interest. I'm going to grow if I abide by what her boundaries are too. So the success more or less of this relationship is yes, it's, 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 uh, it was born from the, from the pain of the previous relationship. Are you starting to feel worthy of it now slowly? Like you can feel loved and feel safe in that? Yeah, still you know, it's, it's still, it's, yes, and it's, it's, born, maybe. it's still, it's still weird. Like, I still catch myself when she, when, when she says, like, I love my man, or, or, 
you're the most amazing because she says to our friends, she says like, you're the, you're the most fascinating man I've ever known or, or you're the most amazing man I've ever known or whatever, whatever her version of that is. And it's like, I still doubt it. I was like, really? I'm the same way. I think it's tied to the one we also share that if we're used to getting love for performing, for making money, for being a service, for being a doer, right? Yeah. Then it's hard to just feel love for, I can just feel love for just sitting down and being myself. I can be love for just existing by this beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. That's like the most strange concept to us because we get love from accomplishing shit, from being yeah. productive. So it's just like, it's it's learning to feel loved unconditionally. I think that's the, 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 the that's been the code for me. It's feeling okay to feel loved for just being, which is existing. Mm-hmm. That's a for, my, my brain and heart to understand that. Cause as a kid, I didn't get that. And mm-hmm. you're kind of retraining yourself to just feel like, you know what, it's a, I can actually be loved for just being here right now as me. Not have to do something or prove something or sell something I'm just love for existing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, part of why I do believe that I am, I, I don't believe that I'd be loved by this woman had I not done the work on myself. Like, had I been the same version of me eight years ago, I would not receive this kind of love. Like, I wouldn't receive love from a woman this wonderful. Like, I think I would receive love, but it would be from a different call it quality of quality woman because I just wouldn't be as quality of a man as I am now. Like I, I didn't just wake up out of bed and have this mindset and be this person. Like I worked at it. It was effort over time and it took, and I had to take risks to do it and, and to realize it and to be loved. Now I don't have to work or change myself in an absolute, I don't have to change any of my character, my character, as it is, is good enough to be loved by her and, and vice versa, like her character. I'll, st- however, what's in my character is to grow, is to be better. Like I, I functionally will not be the same in 10 years as I am today. Like my three most closely held values are to grow, love and lift. And lift is not physically lifting weights. Looks it's, that way though. It's yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's about lifting others, lifting help others up to, to their next level in life. Yeah. So because of that, those are conscious focuses. I ask myself at the end of every day, did I grow? Did I love? And did I lift others? So if the answer is no, and I don't get it right every day, I certainly don't on all of them, but, but it's a constant like mirror for me. Am I, am I becoming the kind of person that I want to be? And if I live by those values, I believe that I will have the love in my life that are by the people I want to be loved by and, and, and that I want to love. Yeah, well, you have an incredibly powerful story, man. And I wanted to, before we wrap up, compliment you on one thing. I think that a lot of people have curiosity and know things, and they read a bunch of books and go to lectures and, and seminars, and they just know things. But I can feel your energy that your body is matching with your thoughts, that you've done the work internally, that you've put the pen to paper internally, that you've taken all the ideas and embodied them in a way which is different. Because a lot of people I talk to, and no knock to them, all love, but I can feel that they're saying one thing and their body is not there. Mm. Their, their, their whole energy is not there. I'm just feeling you, you, you kind of in, in sync with your mindset, which is cool to see. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories. You, I'm man. sure some people will take a lot from it. Yeah, and where can so. people find you and learn more about your stuff and be curious? Yeah, just uh, Instagram at Sterling. Great. This is my first name, yeah. Nice. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, bro.